0: Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Money Nerve, a financial resource that helps you have a healthier relationship with money. Do you feel shame around your past financial decisions? Do you feel alone in your financial struggles? Do you self-sabotage your potential financial successes? Do you keep making the same choices, expecting different results? The Money Nerve has just launched a new online course called The Course to Financial Freedom. To learn more, go to themoneynerve.com forward slash course. The Money Nerve has an offer to all money you should ask listeners for a 25% discount on the course. Use code MYSA, all caps, 25, and start your course to financial freedom now. Thanks again to our sponsor. Well, I am, again, excited to uh, have another guest on, yet again, on Money You Should Ask. Um, today, our guest comes from Ogden, Utah, although he grew up in western Pennsylvania. That's I correct. think it's western, yep. right? Because there's different parts of Pennsylvania, people. So get it right. It's not eastern. Uh, so Chris, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. It's that way in Tennessee. We have three That's parts. Um Chris used the principles of traditional retirement planning combined with creative lifestyle design to retire from a career as a physical therapist at 41. After poor experiences with the financial industry early in his professional life, he educated himself on investing and tax planning. Now he draws on experiences to write about wealth building, DIY investing, do it yourself, financial planning, early retirement, and lifestyle design at caniretireyet.com which is a resource and blog website. It's got great information. Um, Chris, thanks for being here. Super happy to having talk me.
1: to you. I'm excited.
0: Now, I think I forgot to mention that you you just wrote a book, uh, or you're the primary author of a book called uh, Choose FI, Your, Financial,
1: Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. Is that right? That's correct. That's a a really successful podcast called Choose FI and I partnered with the two guys that do that and we turned those interviews and tried to kind of uh, collect the stories from people from the financial independence, retire early or fire community and uh, turn that into a book in a way that people who are not familiar with those concepts or maybe find them a little bit far fetched uh, can get a grasp of and apply to their own lives.
0: Okay, cool. And so I heard you mention fire. And I'm going to ask a little bit about that because I know the first time I heard the word fire, um, I ran out of the building, right? And uh, so what is fire in the financial community when you hear
1: that word fire? Yeah, so um fire is financial independence, retire early. And it really means different things to different people. But I think a lot of the the things that tend to get um, mainstream uh, publicity are these pretty extreme stories, people like living off beans and rice and optimizing everything and trying yeah. to retire by the time they're like 25 or 30 years old. And so I think we kind of, um, and, and, and honestly, like there are Certain aspects of this community, where we kind of painted that picture, and, and it's a fair criticism. Uh, but what we really want to do is make this accessible to a lot of people. And um, really, what it's all about, in my mind, is questioning your your assumptions that you know you don't necessarily have to retire at sixty-five or seventy because everybody says you do. You don't have to save ten percent of your income because that's the standard advice. And you can start really questioning these things and designing the lifestyle that that you want. And I think my story is a pretty um, pretty clear example of that of retiring at forty and and moving t- from pennsylvania to utah to basically be a ski bum and do the things that i'm passionate about and be a stay-at-home dad and and doesn't mean you can't do any work and be productive and and give back to the world but um yeah you can definitely build a life that um makes sense for you
0: well that sounds cool now i i know that we met through fincon and i was at fincon um might have been last year and there was a film uh, that they showed, uh, and they were eating rice and beans, and uh, and I can't remember the wife's name, but she was a little less than overjoyed when she had to part with her, you know, BMW, and and uh, it, you know, and and so I know that people out there maybe already can't afford the BMW, or they're listening to this and they're saying, you know, yeah, that's a great story, um, it, that's not going to ever happen to me. I don't like. Everybody else can can do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. What would you say to the people? And maybe you come across these people that say, yeah, that sounds really great, but it's going to be impossible for me.
1: Yeah, so what we say is that – I mean basically we all have only three levers that we can pull. You can spend less, you can earn more, and you can invest better. And if you, um, kind of look at which levers that you can best pull, which things make the most sense with your situation. So, I mean, I guess a lot of people, I think, um, think I don't make enough money. I think where you are today is not necessarily who you are. That's where you are today. Uh, so you right. can always do things to progress and make more money. Uh, I think a lot of things with spending, people are not willing to necessarily challenge themselves and they assume that they can't spend less. And I think that there's some pretty big wins you can get. And once you start to get some of those wins, then you can start adding in tax advantages and things like that. And you can really throw gas on the fire and, and really things uh, start to snowball quickly. So uh, I would just say to question those assumptions. And how important is it to have your spouse or partner on board with this? Uh, For me, I mean, we, um, so my wife and I both came from um, middle-class to lower middle-class families. And I would (laughs) consider that, um, I think a lot of people think that you have to come from money to uh, become wealthier, to have money. I would say not coming from money was probably our biggest advantage because we were used to living without the fancy house, without the fancy car, uh, without the fancy vacations. So, um, it wasn't like we were giving up anything as we went into college and then got degrees and got professional jobs. Uh, and just to be clear, I was a physical therapist. Uh, my wife had a variety of different jobs, uh, but neither of us ever made more than uh, we. Neither of us ever made six figures uh, in a year combined. We did, but never either of us individually. So we weren't doing this on a massive salary by any means.
0: Yeah, and when you were growing up. Were your parents uh, supportive around whatever career you took? Were they excited for you to be a physical therapist? Did they were they happy that you uh, went to college? Did you have
1: college debt? Like, what was what was growing up in Chris's household? Yeah. So I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And that was a big deal for my parents. Um, my dad, um, f- uh, straight out of high school, he started as a newspaper photographer. And after about 10 or 15 years, he started his own small photography business. And my mom was kind of a stay-at-home mom and a part-time. She worked as a bank teller and then she worked with my dad in his business. So again, not coming from a lot of money, not coming from big salaries by any means. Um, and I guess like the biggest lessons that I learned from them uh, were just that frugality and learning how to stretch a dollar and make it go far because they, they did really well for themselves. And they were able to uh, help uh, my brother and I with college, but it certainly wasn't a blank check or anything. It was, uh, you know, this is what we've been able to save for you. Um, we expect you to be a good steward of it. If you spend it all, then you have to finance the rest. And if you can get through, you can keep whatever's left. And that was kind of their approach with, with me. Cool. Did you get an allowance? Um, I think I had a small allowance. Honestly, say I don't remember a whole lot of a whole lot of that. Like I know I, I was I worked from about as long as I can remember. My dad had his business, so I was everything from stuffing envelopes and cutting cardboard to to put in the the pictures when they were sending them out. And then when I was old enough, I was delivering. And so I worked in his business. And then um, working for your dad, uh, the first thing I wanted to do was get a real job, so I didn't have to work for my dad. <laughs> and so I, I had a variety of jobs, cutting grass and. I worked at Domino's Pizza. I did all kinds of different, random things. But yeah, I always had a job. Okay, and so you've been able to retire.
0: You're able to be a, a, a ski bum and and actually do what you like to do, which a lot of people think they have to, you know, go through a lot of pain to do what they want to do. Um, do you? St- w- what financial baggage do you still have? Like, what are the financial triggers that still come up for you? Um, even because what I for me, um, I think people. Th- sometimes think that you get to a certain place and then you arrive and you never have to look at your money again like oh i made it so i'm done and financial relationships go on until you die um and maybe then some and so are there any things that are still traps for you uh, a
1: little bit of baggage or still a trigger yeah so um I don't know if this directly answers that question, but I think I think it kind of gets to the heart of what you're asking. So you mentioned about having your spouse being on board. And for my wife and I, it was really easy for us to save. We basically, what we decided to do was, um, so I, I told you about my background. Her background, um, her family made probably a similar income, uh, but they weren't as savvy with stretching a dollar as, as mine. And so they were not able to help her at all with school. And so she went and put herself through school. She worked full time, went to school full time. And uh, so I knew she was very responsible, but she still had a little bit of debt when she got out of school. And um, so we were gonna get married and we kind of came up with this plan. I was debt free getting out of college. And we came up with this plan to live off of her salary and everything I was making, just working part-time while I was finishing up PT school, I was going to help pay off her debt. And we were going to get out of debt by the time we got married. And we were pretty happy and that was working well. So we just continued to always live off one salary and save one. And we really never fought about money, never had an issue at all. Uh, but I think for me, um, like seeing my dad be an entrepreneur and being creative with money, um, I was always looking for that next thing. And I was um, just... Um, I was saving to move on to the next phase of life. And I think for my wife, saving was like this feeling of security. And so when we hit financial independence after never – we didn't have two nickels to rub together and we still didn't fight about money. All of a sudden, like money became an issue for us because I was ready to kind of move on to this next phase of life and she was not. And so um, it was something we had to work through. And we honestly, we continue to work through it at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's that trigger that that kind of pushes us still. And. And when you talk
0: with your wife about money, or when she talks with you, uh, has it always been a conversation? Has it always been a confrontation? Uh, A lot of people see a money conversation as an argument. And I'm wondering how the two of you approach that.
1: Um, I think we kind of had to just reach the point where – uh, we had to uh, kind of agree to disagree and like that we see things a little bit differently. And um, part of that has been easier. Um, in my career, I was a physical therapist. I did the same job for 17 years. I worked for the same company for the last 15 years. Uh, it was about as good of a work situation as I could have had. And I just didn't like it. I was burnt out and I wanted to get out. Uh, she actually had a very different. So she had a math degree. Then she ended up getting an MBA. And then she got a third, ma- uh, second master's, a master's of operations research. And right after she got it, she got laid off. And so she never got to use that degree, degree after working so hard. And so the guy who she worked with at that company, he he was starting in, involved in a startup of a new company and they recruited her. And we thought, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to test our financial independence because she wanted to use those skills. And we said, you know, what if you work part time? What if you work remote? What if we got our health care? And just basically ask them everything you could possibly want. And maybe they'll say yes. And if not, then we'll figure something out. And they said yes. So she continues to work part time now. And so that kind of a, it helps us to make this transition. And it also helps to ease her mind and, and allows her to kind of feel that security. While it still gives us a lot of the lifestyle, I mean, she's able to get out and ski with me. She's very involved in our daughter's life. And so it's a pretty nice uh, tradeoff. That's
0: cool. And so, speaking of your daughter, uh, do you talk to uh, your daughter about money? Like, even if, like I know kids are young, but like, when do you start talking to a kid about money? When do you start? Or, or maybe you don't.
1: You know, I, I just curious for you. Yeah. So our, our daughter's seven. Um, I, like I know, like from my experience, um, I just feel like more stuff that stuck with me. More was kind of caught than taught. And I think, like, at least for me, uh, I tend to reject authority, uh, which is maybe why I'm in this fire community. But, um, like, if my parents told me to do something, I would do the opposite just because I was told to do it. But, yeah. like, I witnessed a lot of really good habits from them, and I think that's how I learned a lot. And I think that's mostly the approach we're going to uh, take with our daughter. I mean, she's only seven, so I don't know if she has that much of a concept. But uh, some stuff that's pretty cool, like, I, so I wrote the book last fall, and we were doing a book signing. And she always like has these. I want to do a business. I want to do this. And so she just started to make bookmarks to sell at the um, at the book <laughs> signing. And like she has the awareness. Like she said to me about. She's like, well, how much should I pay you to sell the books? I said, well, you're making them and selling them. And she's like, yeah, but I, nobody would buy them if it wasn't going to your book signing. So I think I should give you something. And so like wow. just being able to see that, I thought as a seven year old was actually at the time. I guess she was six. So yeah, pretty cool. Like that she has that abundance mindset and. And um and then she ended up giving away all the money she wanted to give it away to the animal shelter. She's a cat lover, so okay um, yeah, just yeah, just uh the stuff that she's picking up at this point it's it's pretty cool and pretty impressive, but yeah, we don't really do anything at this time to overtly teach about money uh now, knowing
0: that you uh follow exactly the opposite advice of your parents, which I could relate to, um, is there anything you find yourself saying now as an adult? that you sure did not want to hear as a kid from your,
1: your parents? Um, Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that there is. I I think like, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I could say. I could hear my mom saying that, but I I, I honestly, I don't know that I do that, (laughs) which is, I'm pretty happy (laughs) to say that now that you asked me. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's funny because sometimes people say,
0: Oh my God, I'm becoming my parents. Um, I I, I tried to make sure that didn't happen. I'm sure there are places where I have blind spots, Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. So when I was reading about you and reading your bio and stuff, one of the things that you you say is um, that your mission is to continue to spread the life-changing messages of financial independence to a broader audience, right? And to help people live their best lives. Why is
1: that important to you? Um, I think because – so I, I kind of joke about my relationship with my parents, but I have a very close relationship with them, and I just kind of see how hard they worked to be able to create a better life for themselves and a better life for my brother and I. And I look back and, and um, so I talked about the positive things I got from them of learning how to be frugal, learning how to stretch a dollar, learning how to, even though they didn't have a lot, uh, be generous with our money. Uh, so all those things were positives, uh, but they never really took the time to learn the technical side of personal finance. And so when we, when my wife and I became uh, adults and we started you know, having some money saving and we were looking to invest, I went to them because I respected and I thought they knew what they were doing. And we just basically went with their financial advisor and we never asked any questions. We never, that was our due diligence Says, who do you use? And they told us, and we went and went in and whatever he told us we did. And, um, I guess what we learned um, 10 years later after a lot of really expensive mistakes and following some really conflicted advice is that my parents did really well kind of in spite of the the technical advice that they got rather than because of it. Yeah. And so um, looking back now and like the things that are valuable to me, like I talk about like how I love being a stay-at-home dad and spending this time with our daughter and we travel and do these things, that's stuff my parents couldn't do. Right. And uh, my mom got breast cancer when I was in grad school. And like now that they're at this age where you should be able to enjoy and they're in their 60s and otherwise healthy, I mean, they really can't do a whole lot. Um, my mom's, she gets super fatigued if she walks for. Five or six blocks. And, you know, that it's not always there when you're 60. And, right. um, you know, like if, if you can just learn these little things that make just such a massive difference and that can save you tens of thousands of dollars and let you retire 10 or 15 years earlier. And, and again, it doesn't mean you have to retire and not work at all, but you can design that life you want and do those things that are important. That means the world to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, you said you'd like to travel with your family. Uh, do you think travel is a valuable experience for people and why?
1: Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, growing up, um, I just remember when, when my dad worked at the newspaper, uh, that was something that we did. We traveled all over. And then when he was about, when I was about seven or eight, when he started his business and that went away. And, um, whenever my wife and I got out of school, one of the first uh, trips we did, we went to Mexico to Puerto Vallarta, and we just fell in love with travel. And we've traveled all over the world. To, uh, we've been to Africa. We've been to South America, and it's just a, a really big thing to me, just to see how other people live. I think, I think everyone should go to Africa at some point, and Agreed. I think it just gives you <laughs> such perspective of yeah. the opportunities and just the way that the things that we have here. That when you go to a place where there's true poverty, and not to say that people don't live in poverty in certain parts of the United States, but the opportunities that the of us have compared to the best of them um, it's it's sad and it gives you perspective though and it in it um yeah i think it kind of it's worth seeing and it's worth experiencing
0: yeah totally on board with that uh, life-changing experience for me in africa uh it gives you such a perspective um i wish i, I would love everybody to travel uh I, I just think it widens our experience and our perspective so
1: um yeah, that's awesome.
0: Uh, do you have any financial regrets? Uh,
1: I wish that I would have learned the technical aspect a lot sooner. Um, and as good as we did retiring at you know being able to retire and be financially independent in our early forties, um, we could have probably did it five or six years earlier. Uh, and and the thing is, like, I think a lot, again, a lot of times people in the the fire community they get so extreme, and like if you if you cut out this ten dollar expense, but you put it into this compounding calculator and 30 years later, you'd have a million dollars or whatever, but like it wouldn't have given up anything of value. Like we traveled, we did things when we were on the path to financial independence and I don't regret any of that to get there sooner. But I certainly, I mean, to pay an extra eight or $10,000 in income tax and then another couple thousand in capital gains taxes because we were investing in an inefficient way and then paying all these fees for just this conflicted advice that made us pay the taxes and made us pay the fees and It it didn't add any value to our life, and we could have gotten there sooner if we would have just taken a little bit of time to realize that this stuff is just not that hard. So I wish I, I definitely regret that.
0: Now you took the initiative. You did your own research on how to do it yourself, investing and looking at retirement and all that stuff. A lot of people, and your wife was in math, so people could argue. Well, you guys were already in that realm of of numbers. And a lot of people will say, "Well, I don't know," you know, "I don't know what stock is. I don't know what mutual f- funds are. Um, I don't know what a house hack is." Uh, like, uh, what what was the impetus? For you to say, I'm going to learn this stuff, and I'm going to trust myself, like that I can discern what's good information, right? Because you had these advisors giving you bad information, um, and then here you are. I'm going to go out and learn it myself. Like, what empowered you,
1: and what was the impetus to 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 learn it and make it happen? Yeah. So I, I found this fire community in probably. My daughter was born in 2012, so that was kind of the impetus to start getting serious about finance, about the technical side. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I mean, we just we were going to move west. We didn't think we could have kids, and uh, we were actually in the process of moving to Utah back then. My wife had a job offer with a company called Black Diamond. Who manufactures backcountry skis and climbing gear. And so it was like a dream cool. job for her. And it was giving us this community. And we were just in the process of like starting to like list our house and look for houses out here. And we found out she was pregnant and it kind of <laughs> changed everything. And we're like, well, wow, we can't just wing this. Like we need to get serious. Right. And then um, when I found the fire community, I mean, a lot of the people, it was like Mr. Money Mustache and there was a blogger called The Mad Scientist and, and these guys, they didn't even use their real names. It was all anonymous and like anybody can right. say anything. And so, right. but I was reading it and it just, it made sense in a way that nothing else that I ever looked at did. So we have a friend who is an accountant and I just said, can we sit down and pick your brain? And she's like, absolutely, come over. And so we went over on a Saturday morning and we talked for like a half hour and she's just staring at me. And I was <laughs> like, is this crazy? Is this illegal? Like, what Like, what are you looking at me? And she's like, no, this is like, brilliant, but she's like, nobody thinks this way. Everybody just comes and asks you to fill out their forms and nobody asks questions. And she's like, yeah, it is really simple, but yeah, nobody does that. And um, my co-author in the book, Brad Barrett, he's a, both he and his wife are CPAs. And he, when we were ta- kind of kicking through ideas with the book, he expressed that same story that like both of them, even being CPAs, they would have never seen these tax planning strategies that we write about and talk about in the fire community. Now it's just, people don't think that way because they're so ingrained in, you know, basically you spend everything you make. And so you don't have a lot of savings and, and to, to use these timing strategies, which are very basic, simple, legal things. Uh, but people just don't think that way. Why
0: do you think people don't want to think outside the box? Like, I, I agree with you that a lot of people, um, I, a lot of accountants, like they learn the rules and then they come right up to the line. They don't want to cross it. You know, I'm probably a little more creative. I'm like, okay, I know where the box is. Now let's see if we can get outside the box and push some things. But that's, i 'm not normal so um what uh, what have you found like that that keeps people in this no, I have to do it this way, my parents did it that way, my grandparents did it that way, my friends are doing it that way is
1: it i don't want to take a risk i don 't want to look stupid like I love that question i'll give you my personal. My my own personal experience is that you know like I went to school I have so I have a high school diploma a bachelor's degree a master's degree and a doctor degree. My wife has the same. She has a bachelor's and two masters. And neither of us ever had a personal finance class. We just didn't know what questions to ask. And I think things are made to seem so complex with investing and tax planning. Yeah. And so people just don't ask questions. And, and another thing with having all that education, I think like we got really good at you know, knowing how to pass a test and knowing how to just collect information, but I don't really think you learn to ask questions. And so I think a lot of people just blindly, this is what everybody does. Like you get out of school, you buy a house, you, you finance your car and you know, that's just what people do. And, and again, like, what I've found since I found this fire movement, and I think why people get so passionate about it beyond just what I talked about, like you can reclaim your life. And I told you the story of my, of us compared to my parents, but it's just, it's really transcended into what else am I not asking questions about, like with diet, with exercise, with faith, with relationships, with everything. And, and but you just kind of start down this path. And I think so much of your day is just consumed by, Um, just decisions that are kind of pre-made and you're just kind of going through the motions. And, and so many of these things, if you just took one step back and said, why is this the way it is? You'd find that it doesn't have to be that way. But yeah, I think a lot of it's just kind of beaten out of us and we, we learn to get the degree and get the job and all that, but we don't really learn to ask questions very well. And and it's kind of sad.
0: Yeah. And I, I totally agree that people don't ask questions and uh, like, I know, Uh, As a CPA, I would go to continuing education, and people would ask. You know, the 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 speaker would take talk about something at a very high level, and all the CPAs are like, "Yeah, that's right, that's right." I'm like, "Wait, I'm really stupid. Um, Can you like give it to me like in baby pictures, like real big pictures?" And what? I'm like, I don't understand. And then I'd see all these other folks around me going, "Thank you, thank you." because they didn't want to ask the like i i just start off with i'm stupid so i'm gonna ask a lot of questions uh i don't know anything but i find that people are afraid to ask the questions because they might look stupid or they didn't know they're allowed to ask questions i i'm I fine with my clients they're always, I'm like why aren't you asking this why aren't you oh i didn't know i could ask that right i the same thing with doctors or investors i just sit there and You know, I used to just, oh, the doctor said sit in the room. And two hours later, where's the doctor? Oh, well, he didn't tell me I could move. Uh, You know, we, we, somewhere along the way, we've, I I feel like we've been disempowered uh, for our own ability to do things. Um, I was fortunate, I went to a very small liberal arts college where you had 10 people in a class and you were challenged to ask questions, which is, I think, not true of a lot of, at least I know my sisters went to, and I was going to go to UT where there's 5,000 people in a class or 500, whatever. And it's an audio and you don't really, there is no, there's no real debate. There's no real conversation. So how do you continue to exercise that muscle to, to keep asking questions and keep like being inquisitive instead of, Oh, I can't ask.
1: Like, is there something you do? Um, That's a good question. I I, I could tell you the thing that really kind of turned everything around for me is um, when you talk about the the whole idea of lifestyle design, I think I'd give credit to that term to Tim Ferriss, if you're familiar with him. And he has the really popular Tim Ferriss podcast and his his kind of initial trademark book was The 4-Hour Workweek. Yes, and I started reading that. And I always thought like before I, I'm I a big fan of his now, but I, thought, I kind of thought he was like self promotional and spammy and I didn't really care <laughs> for him. And for some reason, I started reading The 4-Hour Work Week. I couldn't even get through it, but I picked up his book called The 4-Hour Body. And as a physical therapist, um, I kind of thought I know the body. I know how to get stronger and faster and heal and do all these things. And I started reading this from somebody that has no medical background at all. And a lot of this stuff just kind of rocked my world. I was like, wow, I never really thought of the problem that way. And he just asked different questions and talks to different people. And as I started doing my research, I was like, you know, this guy's pretty legit. And like, it really changed my way of thinking. I was like why am I doing all these things the way I'm doing just because I would learn that in school 10 years ago and, and you just kind of go through the motions. And and so I started asking questions. I started following him and, and just, and again, this fire community in general, I think just really questions a lot of things. And just reading widely is probably the best thing I do now. And, and I kind of stay away from, I don't watch a whole lot of like mainstream news or things like that. I don't watch much TV and just kind of breaking that cycle and and finding the, the voices that serve you and following them. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, um, what are your plans? Like, where do you want to be 10 years from now? That's a tough question. So my daughter's seven. So, um, this next, I, I kind of like look at things maybe in like 10, 10 year blocks, and mm-hmm. so this next uh, ten years, um, I really would like to just kind of enjoy this time that in a way that most parents don't get to, uh, and mm-hmm. that's my primary focus. Uh, and in the meantime, though, I mean, she's in school, and so I have a lot of time. So I'm continuing to develop skills and interests. So like as through my writing and personal finance, and and I'm kind of looking at. I guess the one thing I really miss from being a physical therapist is that one on one and helping and coaching people. So I'm kicking around like maybe doing some financial coaching or becoming a CFP and just kind of seeing like what makes the most sense, what lets me help people in the way I want to uh, and kind of allows me to have that lifestyle flexibility. And then beyond 10 years though, I have no idea where things go from there.
0: Okay. Um,
1: what do you want? What's,
0: what is the legacy you want to leave for your daughter?
1: Um, I just, I hope that she looks at the way we lived our life and sees that we're not afraid to uh, do things. I think a lot of people would perceive as risky Um, and she is willing to ask questions and she's willing to kind of blaze her own path and do her own thing. Cool.
0: Well, I know we're getting to the end here. So like what I'm, what I'm really hearing you say is ask a lot of questions. Like (laughs) ask, don't, don't assume. Uh, And Like take some action. What I'm really hearing is that you you had to take a little bit of initiative instead of just waiting for things to happen – And looking at places where, oh, this financial advisor isn't working out for us. What do I need to know? Uh, Why can't I do this? And even after you resonated with what was going on in the the fire uh, community, you still went to another accountant and said, hey, what do you think about this? So you weren't doing it blindly, which is what I was curious about, is if you just went, oh, I just trust myself. You still actually asked people, hey, what does this sound like? And and just keep – it sounds like just getting really, really curious to keep – Moving towards choices that serve you and and being willing to, oh, I need to take a left. Oh, I could take a right and not
1: being fixated on it has to look a certain way because this is the way my parents did it yeah absolutely and like I think some people like they'll get so extreme and like they get down on college and and I would be the biggest hypocrite I told you like my wife and I we have six degrees between us, and so I mean that that allowed us to earn a lot of money to or at least a reasonable amount of money to save and to get where we are uh, but I think that there's so many more ways you can learn and with with the internet and youtube and just all the different things out there um if you're willing to look for answers um they're out there and and a lot of them are you have access to just remarkable teachers for extremely low cost if if you're willing to um just search and keep asking those questions and keep looking for better answers yeah awesome awesome so chris where can people find you on social media uh, so I'm not real active on social, but my blog is caniretireyet.com. And I am uh, very responsive there if anybody wants to look me up and reach out through the blog. And my book is Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence, and it's available on Amazon or anywhere you find books. And uh, I'd love if people would check out the book. So check out the book, folks. Get
0: some financial independence. That would be awesome. I'd love that for everyone. Um, So I also want to say to our audience, don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast players. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time and coming on and having a great conversation with us. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me.